Claire Parker. And I'm Ashley Hamilton. And And this this is Celebrity Memoir Book Club. The podcast that is a box inside of another box inside of another box inside of another box inside of a library where we have taken just the tiniest, tiniest piece of every single book or book with quotes around Ashley, I have to start vetting these. I don't know what you're talking about. And even in the metaphor world, I don't think you're right. We're reading the book so that you don't have to. And then we will tell you about them with our opinion. And if you don't like that, go read the book yourself. But if you love it, thank you. You are my lifeblood. I was trying to think of something creative to say. And I looked across the room and saw a box with a bag in it. You have to come having worked these out. I will. Next time, I promise. And I will say, we've got announcements. Oh my God, yeah. We are live now. We have a show in DC. We have a show in Philly. The links will be in the bio. They're coming up end of September. We've also got a Moment House show, September 13th. The Patreon worms get a little bit of a discount. So if you've ever been like, when's the time to sign up? The time is now. The time is there. The time has passed and we're so excited to meet you, to chat with you, to just be live with you. Also, if you want other thoughts, other moments, we have a newsletter now that comes out every Friday or so. (laughs) And that's fun. So you can sign up for that. There's a link in the show notes to get on board with that. Yeah, we have a lot of new things coming on and we have a show in New York coming up in November. November. We don't have a date or a ticket link or most of the information. I just want you guys to know that we're working as hard as we can for you guys. And then also we are looking for a new location for our monthly comedy show that is free to anybody in the area. We're looking for a place that maybe we'll have less non-audience members mingled in. If you know, you know. We're looking for a place with like a wall so that people who aren't trying to watch comedy can be on the other side of the wall. (laughs) If you have any leads, let us know. And Ashley... Yes, Claire. I mean, a lot is new, but what else is going on in your life? If you were a celebrity, what would the name of this week's chapter be called? If I were a celebrity writing a celebrity memoir, I would title this week's chapter Clear Eyes, Full Hearts. We'll see what happens next. As you guys know, I've been on quite a journey to improve my life. And this, I think, is the longest that I've been off dating apps. I had like a relapse since I initially announced my list just because I get bored And then I don't know what to look at on my phone. Phones are so boring these days. There's nothing to really see there. Anyway, this is the longest I've been off dating apps, I think, since getting them and not being in a relationship. And I feel like a new person. I think that there are other things in my life that obviously could contribute to my recent positive attitude. I've been drinking a lot less. I don't know if that does anything for anybody. I've also been... um, What's the other thing? Oh, going to therapy. (laughs) That was a big one that could do something for me, but I don't know if that's really proven... Anyway, I do genuinely feel like not being on dating apps has changed my perspective on people. I don't think dating apps are evil as a whole. I do think the way that they existed in my life was overwhelmingly negative. And I think that I would just go on there and look at people and just be mad and annoyed and be like, God, everyone fucking sucks. And I think it was making the people who are good on those apps seem bad to me because I would see so many bad people in a row that I'd be like, fuck everybody. And now I like, I'm not so mad. That's really beautiful. I think it's really been a good thing for me. I will say that I also just haven't been dating at all. I like don't understand how to meet people without using dating apps. It's very difficult, especially because I've been busy and like out of town the last few weekends. So I don't really know what to do, but that'll come later. You know, one problem at a time. Right now I've been feeling honestly overwhelmingly positive and I'm fucking digging that vibe. The book that we read this week, it definitely harshed the vibe, but it couldn't bring this bitch down because she's on a new fucking path, baby. A sinking ship does not sink all ships. Well, that's not true. (laughs) I wouldn't call her a sinking ship. I would call her more of a flat tire upon a ship as it's on its way into the ocean and it doesn't quite get there. Like, you know how ships, they go on a trolley before they get in the water. Claire, if you were to write a book about your life, what would you title last week's chapter? Ugliest Girl in the World Attack. Longtime listeners know that every once in a while I'll suffer from an ugliest girl in the world attack (laughs) where I look in the mirror and suddenly I'm attacked by the realization that I may be the ugliest girl in the world. (laughs) And what has happened to me is, I don't know, okay, one, two, maybe three nights in a row I fell asleep covered in sweat and sunscreen and... one little three night in a row mistake and suddenly I have one of the most painful pimples I've ever had in my life. I actually have been ugliest girl in the world attacking too and that will show you how positive not being on dating apps has made me feel because it's literally not even really bringing me down. The fact that I look in the mirror and I think, what is that, a football? (laughs) I've had this pimple on my face and it's like the biggest pimple I've had I think in half a decade. 
It is so painful. It's right on the cheekbone where the cheek skin meets the under eye skin. So it's supple and nervous. Oh, like and a if baby. you come in from the wrong angle, you are hitting eye skin, which is, it shouldn't even be in public. I don't know who invented eye it's skin. It's for your butthole. It's not for your face. It's sick. That kind of skin shouldn't be there. Anyway. I have been like doing everything I can to not touch my face. I can't help but pick at it. It's getting worse by the minute. I've had it for three days and it hurts so badly and it's really visible. And I had to put a bandaid on my face for like 24 hours just to stop picking at it. I do think the bandaid gave me a bit of an allergic reaction. It has been spiraling. That is tough stuff. I just haven't had to deal with something like this in a really long time. A pimple? A pimple like this, yeah. To have it plumb in the middle of my cheek it's a target for sure. It's a loud moment on my face and it has just been um, kind of all I can think about. Not even from an aesthetic perspective, just because I can't stop being like, well, maybe if I pick one more time. It'll, it'll be the final pick. It'll heal itself. Maybe like one more blood gush is what it needs to heal. A release, if you will. Your face is yeah. looking for a, its right moment to scream and you're not giving it that. The scab is holding it back from healing. What I need to do is pull the scab off to reveal the healing part. Sure. <laughs> so that's kind of my week. Should we get into this week's memoirist? I don't think we can call her that. Should we get into this week's face that's on the cover of a book? It was short. It was easy, but it was still upsetting. It was easy in the way that I guess overnighting something from Amazon, you go, well, that was easy. But at what cost? Do I feel good about how easy that was? Or does it make me think like what human lives have been ruined? Right. It shouldn't be this easy. So we give you on the week of her debut as Funny Girl, which honestly, I don't think she's that funny. No, but she can sing. She can sing. And I watch her do that performance and I go, yeah, she should be singing this song. We'll talk about it on the Patreon, but for now, here is our take on Leah Michelle and the brunette ambition that has gotten her to where she is today. Leah Michelle was born August 29th, making her today a beautiful 36 years old. This book came out in 2014, which was eight years ago. So it came out when she was 28. I don't know that she should have written a book then. I don't know that she should have read a book ever. I actually do think she has quite the story to tell. I don't know that she actually has quite the story to tell. I think she's lived a story, but I don't know that she could tell a story. Okay, that's fair. I also want to say, thinking about a 28-year-old and this book, I don't know why, but they just do not jibe. This book to me feels ageless and timeless in the sense that it does not affix itself to any human I know. Okay, I actually completely disagree. I think the fact that this book is not by Jessica Seinfeld is an affront. Wow, I don't know where you pulled that from, but it was Spot on. <laughs> Yesterday, Ashley said she ran into a guy who she said dressed like young Sheldon. And I've never seen the show, but Mac really, he lit up. He got it. You've been just spot on with your references. <laughs> Thank you. This book, Brunette Ambition by Leah Michelle. Let me walk you through it. And if you're watching on the YouTube, we only have one copy in the studio. So we're sharing. Here's what I want to say about this. We did buy two copies. We did then order a third copy expedited because we couldn't find the second copy. <laughs> it did not get here in time. So by the end of the week, we will own three copies of this book. We will be recording with a single copy of this book. And somehow it all amasses to zero book. <laughs> okay. So now what I was going to say, this book, Brunette Ambition by Leah Michelle, is quite wide, not thick. It is 200 pages, mostly photos, lots of recipes. It is like magazine shaped, not even full magazine shaped, but remember Teen Vogue shape? It's yearbook shaped. No, yearbooks are bigger. It's not yearbook dense. It's yearbook shaped. Like you could drop this in a hole meant for a yearbook. Okay. It does contain almost nothing, but there are autobiographical elements. Okay. She claims to have written this book and it is full of pieces that where she says things that happened to her kind of hey does anyone here not know how to do a squat would it help if you watched leah michelle take photos of herself squatting the photos are insane we will share some of them we'll also be sharing recipes throughout the week i believe we'll both be doing a day in the life of living the life of leah michelle i can't wait i'm gonna start with goat's milk no i she did say in the goat's milk yogurt recipe that you could use greek yogurt which i won't i want to do it the official leah michelle way i don't i want to do it in the edible way all right i'm gonna take the book from you now and open it okay <laughs> so it starts with a letter to her fans to the greatest fans on earth 
I've been so lucky in my life in Glee and beyond. So in her life, there's two sections. There's Glee and then there's not Glee. Yeah. And when she's leading up to Glee before she talks about it, she says, don't worry, later we'll talk about Glee. So I've had such an incredible support system in all of you. You've really made this journey so wonderful and I most certainly wouldn't be where I am today without you. This book is the story of how I got to where I am today. As incredible and unexpected as that journey has been, I will say I feel her journey is incredibly expected. I especially want to thank my biggest fan, Corey, who read almost every chapter of this book. He too was so thankful for all the support I had from all of you. He very much lives on in these pages. Not only did he give me a ton of practical feedback in terms of notes and edits, but he shines through in everything that I've done in my life and has been an incredible source of love and inspiration. I couldn't have made this book without him. I would love to know Corey's edits. (laughs) May he rest in peace. I have to tell you, she does not reference him again. Maybe he edited that out. Maybe he was like, don't bring me up in this book. But so that's kind of all she says about Corey. I understand it's like a light, bright lifestyle book, but I do think to have your boyfriend pass away unexpectedly during the writing of a book that has anything to do with yourself and not mention it is crazy. That's what I kind of mean by she does have a story to tell. I think to go through that kind of loss in the public eye must have been double traumatizing compared to what it would have been outside of that. I think to have people scrutinizing her next relationships, the way that after that, when she started dating again, everyone thought it was like just disrespect. I think that's so cruel. And well, do you remember that blind item that she was shopping around a seance show where she would speak to the dead cast members of Glee? And we were like, oh man, listen, I don't know Naya Rivera. I don't know if her ghost is in this room right now, but if it is, she's saying, I won't talk to Leah. (laughs) To get back to, does she have a story to tell? She has lived a story. And I agree with you hundred percent that That is a unique and horrible experience. However, I think in this book where there was obviously an opportunity to have at least a paragraph, a memoriam, anything about Corey, and she chose not to, I think that is her telling her story. I agree. I agree. Okay. So chapter one, what makes me, me, every chapter is very definitive in what it is. Like each chapter really, really definitively covers one thing. It's not always a part of her life. It could just be a thing that she's heard of once. But this first chapter is one of the most autobiographical. And I also want to point out that it starts on page 11. I think a lot of times people don't start counting pages until the book starts, but that's not the truth for this one. You just missed like 100 pages of pictures. There was 10 pages of pictures, Ashley. Do you don't think that's part of the book? I guess like no. <laughs> I firmly believe that where you come from makes you you and that when you celebrate your roots and focus on how those roots make you distinct, you have the greatest chance of becoming your best self. Fortunately, the world is becoming more and more attuned to celebrating everything that makes us all a bit different. So ignoring those quirks that make you stand out is a mistake. I've never tried to put myself in a box or attempted to fit in because I really only knew how to play myself. I think this is because my parents instilled so much self-confidence in me and constantly reassured me that I was just great as I was. I am so proud of who I am and I owe it all to my family. I do think that maybe... They made her too confident. So then she goes on to talk about her family and where they came from. She talks about how her dad was like an incredible salesman. He never took no for an answer. He would always just be like, you don't need a car, but here, take this car and then give me a couple thousand dollars. They really busted doors down and you can really see how that rubbed off on her. I mean, especially with like Funny Girl coming out. They did not give her that role and she said, you'll give me that role and now she's got it. I think one of the interesting things about this, what some might call a book is the way that she is obsessed with making it broad advice the entire time. She never for one second hesitates in making sure that whatever she says is applicable to everyone. She'll be like, it's really important to walk into an audition with confidence and knowing your lines. Or for instance, if you're having a regular job interview, you should walk in with confidence and having prepared a proper slide deck. Whatever your job is or not having a job, the best thing to do is be prepared. That can't be denied. (laughs) And you're like, it can't be, but why are you the one telling us? So she moves to New Jersey when she's four, even though she's like, I'm from the Bronx. And it's like, okay, not memorably, not in your (laughs) conscious You've been to the Bronx. They moved to New Jersey and she says, it was there that a bizarre but wonderful twist of fate led me to be cast on Broadway. More on that later. The term stage parents makes my skin crawl, but my mom and dad were pretty much the opposite of that cliche. For one, it was never part of their plan. They never would have guessed that in a million years that when they had Leah Michelle Sarfati on August 29th, 1986, that she would work on Broadway and go on to TV. I would love to hear the story about how she got cast as Cosette on Broadway because I don't think it could possibly be true that in a twist of fate, she randomly got cast. 
Well, she later goes on to say that it's because she had a friend who was auditioning and she went with her friend to the audition. And I yeah, guess, I don't believe that. Of course not. Of course she wasn't just singing in the hallway and a producer came out and was like, you, that voice, that girl. Yeah, just that a girl that happened to have like a once in a generation talent went as a plus one to a theater audition. That doesn't sound right to me. Of course it's not right. She also goes on to talk about how her mom had cancer that was very shaping for her, but she says she never played the victim. <laughs> it's like, okay. It seems like something bad was happening to her. It wasn't just cancer. She's like, she had a tough childhood growing up. A lot of her brothers and sisters died, but she never played the victim. It's like, played. I guess she didn't play at all. Everybody was dead. She goes on to talk about how she really values who she is and her individuality. She says that one of the first pieces of advice she got in the industry is that as soon as she is an adult, AKA gets her period. She should get a nose job. And she says, I am who I am and not to oversimplify things, but it's because I'm not like all the other girls that I've gotten to where I am today. I love that kind of phrasing. She also talks about finding role models. Obviously she's obsessed with Barbara Streisand and she talks about how important it was to have people that look like her on screen and I do think it's seeing things like this, like reading paragraphs like this. We've read it in a number of celebrity memoirs from people who are not necessarily the most conventionally beautiful woman in the room. It's important to them to have someone on screen that looks like them. And they always ignore the fact that they're still just like regular white people. And not only that, she really thinks it's crazy that she got to be cast on the TV with that crazy face of hers. But she's like, I always looked up to the people in the room that were different like Barbara Streisand and Natalie Wood. And I was like, was Natalie Wood considered an unconventional beauty? I thought Natalie Wood was like the hottest girl. To be Leah Michelle, just like a skinny white girl and be like, but no one looked like me in the media. I get that no one had your exact face, but you were pretty represented. <laughs> I also, and this might not be true, but she shares that story about someone who said she should just get a nose job maybe 10 times throughout the book. I think it is brought up in each chapter. And I am kind of like, okay, Leah, one person made an off-color remark. I understand that that is very hurtful, but she acts like every time she left the house, people were like, get a nose job, <laughs> get a nose job or go back inside. Stop taking that nose out on the streets. You should job it immediately. You're going to cause a car accident. <laughs> She talks about school. She points out that even though she was a working kid and she was going in to New York to be on Broadway and then going back to New Jersey for school, she says, everyone at school was nice and made room for me in their social groups when I was around. But then it was hard because after school, when everyone was hanging out, she had to go to work. And I was like, okay, so nothing. No, you were obviously annoying. No one ever bullied you. <laughs> and then she says that she was a champion debater. She took ninth and 10th grade off of acting on Broadway to just be a regular kid and try things out. And so she goes onto the debate team and she says that she was like a loud mouth, but her friend was smart and they were the winningest team and that she almost thought about going to law school and that she was the best at it. In terms of trying out other activities, she thinks it's really important to do activities. She says, I'm a huge fan of a well-rounded life. During my formative years, it was important to me that I learned to excel at things outside of singing and acting. And I love that she uses Excel in that. She, like, and she goes on to talk about how it's important to remember the other things that you enjoy doing so that they don't take away from your career. They just enrich your entire being. But in order to have extra things that enrich your being, you have to be great at them. Otherwise, why would you even bother with the enrichment? She does eventually go back to Broadway, though, and goes, I was devastated when Ben Shapiro replaced me as her partner. Was it the Ben Shapiro? No, this book came out eight years ago. Ben Shapiro wasn't born yet, right? Is Ben Shapiro young Sheldon. <laughs> and she's a big believer that everybody that wasn't allowed to have extracurriculars has dropped out of the business, but she succeeded because her parents allowed her to be interested in other things, which only served to edify that she loved acting. Okay. I guess what she's saying is her hobby is excelling. And so if she can excel at other things besides singing and acting, that gives her space to really grow. How I stay grounded and keep positive. Family. That's a good idea. To her parents, she's just Leah and she'll never change. They always treat me like Leah Sarfati. In this business, it's very easy to forget who you are and where you come from, but they're a constant reminder that ultimately nothing has changed. Part of surviving Hollywood and life really is to keep your world relatively intimate and packed with people who will always have your best interest in mind. Ugh, honestly, the only person that this book could have helped is um, Sherry Nicole. <laughs> deep cut. She talks about how important it is to take time for yourself, even when your schedule gets really busy. If you have a really busy day, taking five minutes to stretch makes a world of difference. Also, taking a very long bath makes a world of difference. 
Yeah, this book really does read like the worst part of a People or Us magazine. It's like all the stuff that they just put in the pages because they're like, we have to sell 10 more ads. And so that means we need like five more mini articles to just make the pages thicker. It's all like how to do your own pedicure, how to do your own hair serum. She says that she loves eating comfort food as self-care, which sure. Chapter two, the biz. I've been collecting a paycheck since I was a little girl, doing jobs that seemed too fun to be considered work. When I was eight, I landed on Broadway and started down the path to make my first childhood dream come true. She wanted to be a diva. It was her dream. It wasn't random. Then she goes on to be like, I wasn't like other little girls. Everyone else wanted to play dolls, but I wanted to play West Side Story and Man of La Mancha. And I was always pretending that I was winning an Oscar. And I was like, oh, yes, that very unique and bizarre desire for a little girl to want to be a star actress. We've never even heard of that before. She talks about how she was like an absolute theater geek. She loved theater so much. She talks about later being asked to sing a pop song for her Glee audition and being like, I didn't know any pop songs. I only knew theater songs. Luckily, I'd heard Jessica Simpson on the radio that week. I wandered into that audition with no conception of how it would change my life. I only went because my best friend Chloe wanted to go and somehow I ended up landing the role of Cosette on Broadway. Somehow. I just don't understand this because also if you were going with her and she was auditioning to be Cosette, I feel like as a parent, if I was bringing my child to an audition, one, that's not something you bring a friend to and two, you don't just sign up another child for a full-on job without the other parent's permission. You know what I mean? It's not like, oh, little Leah was over so we just gave her some dinner. Is that okay? You would never be like, oh, your eight-year-old daughter Leah was over for the night so we just took her in and started a career. Is that okay? (laughs) She talks about the powerful lessons she's learned throughout her time on Broadway and how each show taught her something new. Overall, she says one of the most powerful lessons she learned is that you don't always get the jobs and breaks that you think you want and think you deserve, just as you'll likely be passed over for a promotion at some point in your career. Everything's the same for all of us. Don't worry. But that's not really it because there's also this, I know I have a really cool job, but even for somebody who works at a desk, she's like, and what I do is really hard, but even for your job, it's probably the same. She doesn't think that it's, the same for all of us. She's trying to be like, but I'm sure you could relate. Maybe I've never done a thing and I never would because I'm talented. So I would never be in an office. But she also talks about one of her biggest letdowns that wasn't meant to be is when she didn't get a role in the Broadway revival of West Side Story. It wasn't meant to be. And as tough as that was to fathom in the days after the rejection, a month later, I got the part of Rachel Berry. She's not Latina. She is diverse, though. And you don't understand Nobody looked like her except for Barbara Streisand and Natalie Wood. (laughs) She talks about the lessons she learned on every set. On Les Mis, she learned professionalism because she was a child and she had to learn that as a child on set, you had to be professional. This is interesting. She talks about being measured every week because you would literally outgrow the part. And I think that's like a very interesting and traumatizing situation that she could have talked about because I'm sure that there was a lot of Jeanette McCurdy-esque trying to stay small. She says that most parents taught their kid to slouch. Mm-hmm. but hers never did. And I'm like, well, yeah, you're the tiniest person in the world. I can't believe you outgrew that role at all. To this day, you could probably be young Cosette. <laughs> she learned a lot about the craft, teamwork, and perseverance when she did Ragtime. Ragtime was her first experience opening a show. She moved to Toronto with her mom for a year. They workshopped it there. They brought it back to New York City. And it had this incredible cast. The cast was Marin Mazzi, Brian Stokes Mitchell, Peter Friedman, and Odra McDonald. She's never taken an acting class, maybe one or two, but everything she knows, she learned from them. Yeah, she says Audra McDonald would bring herself to tears every night during one of her big performances. And I was like, oh, that's where we got the Rachel Berry cry singing. So she tells a story about how when she got the role, they wanted to switch it off between two little girls because it's a lot for an 11-year-old to do eight full-time shows. And she put in her contract, no, if you want me, it can only be me. I want to do every single performance, which feels like an insane thing for one, an 11-year-old to say and two, an adult to allow. Yeah, I do feel like she got that in her head from someone else. And I don't know that I want to blame her mom because at that point she'd been on Broadway for however long. Like she definitely met a handful of people who were like, this is how you have to be in the biz. But maybe it was her mom. She took one night off ever and the understudy went on instead. After, Peter asked me to not take any more breaks. Sure, that sounds extreme, but it underlines how dependent our performances were on each other. And quite frankly, I was relieved and thankful that I was missed. I was young and territorial about my roles. So when Peter told me that he didn't want me to miss any more performances, it was really another way of saying job well done. That is an intense thing for an adult to say to an 11 year old, you're never allowed to take a day off again. That is like a bad grown up actor. If you can't act and do your job well with a different 11 year old actor, or that means they weren't rehearsed enough, but you can't say this entire million dollar production relies on the fact that an 11 year old will never take a nap. Then she did Fiddler on the Roof. She learned focus and patience. She was daughter number four. And it was the first time in her life she had to share a dressing room. 
which taught her patience and she hated it, but it was like really good for her to have that experience because it taught her how much it sucked. She said she left Fiddler because as nice as it was to collect a paycheck, I wasn't getting enough out of the experience creatively. I mean, she was in high school at this point. I think she was 17 or 18. Yeah, she left because she wasn't the star and to her that was beneath her. What was the point of being on Broadway at 17 years old if you're not gonna be the star? So then Spring Awakening, which she had been workshopping. Okay, so this is the thing. In this book, she talks about how she took two years off to be a regular high school student. Then she flashes to Spring Awakening where you find out that they've been workshopping Spring Awakening on and off the entire time she was in high school. So she did like take time off, but she was part of this, what's it called, practice core? Sure. Of Spring Awakening. That sounds right to me. <laughs> practice core. And then she gets cast in the actual show when it gets greenlit. No. When it gets <laughs> like picked up off Broadway. She learns conviction and emotional hardiness. I don't know what Spring Awakening was. I knew it was about like horny teenagers. I did not realize it was about horny teenagers in Germany in the 19th century. Okay. I definitely knew about Spring Awakening because I knew theater kids growing up. Like I knew people who were like into it. I guess I like thought that I knew what it was and I realized I've been in a lot of conversations about Spring Awakening and never actually knew what it was. I kind of don't want to know. I'm I'm curious about it. It sounds horny, but... Here she learns emotional hardiness because her character ends up dying from a botched abortion and she has a sex scene and she does nudity. But she had it in her contract that if her dad was in the audience, she didn't have to do it, which I think is interesting. That's a really funny contract though. It's also crazy to think that she signed up for that play at 14. I was like, were they looking at that 14 year old being like, well, by the time we get funding, those nipples will be free. She said that the show evolved significantly. I guess I wonder how much it could have evolved. She like- says that it went from the initial sexiness of it was like, implied kissing and then it went from applied implied kissing to implied boinkin you know how that escalates i guess how lucky that it escalated with the age of that core performance group (laughs) you know what i mean though it feels suspect they were like oh we only had you doing legal things when you were underage and now that you're not underage suddenly we're going in a new direction where we see boob then she goes to frequently asked fan questions the one that i want to talk about is how do you handle difficult coworkers? and she says we've all been there we've all been there, even people at their regular jobs. She talks about how her trigger specifically is feeling like she's prepared and others aren't, which does line up quite specifically with blind items we've read. I also just think it's very interesting that throughout this book, she does go so far out of her way to be like, I am the easiest to get along with person that I've ever met. I feel like that's the crux of every chapter. She's like, with my makeup team, no one's easier to get along with than me. With my hair team, once again, I'm very easy to get along with. And she loves to talk about how easy breezy she is to get along with. I also want to point out the language in this book is very, I know she didn't write it, but I know that whoever wrote it was like, how would Leah Michelle talk? Obviously that's the job of a ghostwriter. And the words they use sometimes are so old timey that I do believe she talks like that. Do you know what I mean? She feels like an affected person, like a person with an affect. She seems like she wants to be Barbara Streisand in Barbara Streisand era movies. She like reminds me of a black and white lady being like, you brute. <laughs> What's the best and worst advice you've ever gotten? Best, work hard at what you love and love what you do. If it makes you happy, go for it 100%. And as Odra told me, if you've been given a gift, it's your responsibility to honor it and use it well. Worst, to change my appearance. That might have ended my career since not looking like the other girls is what sets me apart. I'm sorry, but your nose is not what got you, Rachel Berry. It's the fact that to your core, you are a presumptuous little bitch. (laughs) When we get to her Rachel Berry audition scene, she's like, it was so weird. I don't relate to Rachel Berry at all, but suddenly she was inside of me. And I'm like, it's you. The call is coming from inside the house. She's obsessed with professionalism. She says, I take professionalism very seriously. And then we get to chapter three, self-care 101. And this is where she talks about how she takes care of herself. And I want to, okay, is this correct or not correct? The way she spells mask throughout this entire book. She spells it M-A-S-Q-U-E, hair mask, face mask. She's always like, you got to do a hair mask in your kitchen, but it's M-A-S-Q-U-E and not M-A-S-K. And I'm like, am I stupid? Am I like an uneducated fucking dillweed or is she crazy? She's not crazy. You're a brute. <laughs> and it's a masque. A masqua. <laughs> My job requires a huge amount of energy, much like any career that involves being on. As you can imagine, playing a character like Rachel Berry is no joke. In order to show up to work refreshed and rested so that I can act my heart out, it's imperative that I capitalize on my downtime and do things for myself that feel energizing and indulgent. So she loves giving herself a pedicure. Sure, I'm not qualified as a professional aesthetician, but I would still argue that we can take better care of ourselves than anyone else. Plus, it's a lot less expensive than booking a massage at the spa. That's true. 
Beyond the ritual's therapeutic effects, I just cannot neglect my skin. I've been on Accutane twice. In fact, you know those kids who've become nearly suicidal about their acne? I've walked that fine line. Okay, for a book that in no way gives on any side, I feel like everything is so literal. There's no exaggeration. There's no, there's literally no storytelling. There's just saying things. So for her to call herself borderline suicidal is... Either it's like a grotesque, random overstatement or she's really revealing something unmatched by the emotional authenticity of any other part of this book. Which do you think it is? I don't know because this is a person whose boyfriend just died and she does not mention it in the book. He probably hadn't died when she wrote that part. Yeah, okay. But overall, this is a book written during the death of her boyfriend. Does not really mention him. But the thing that she has to come clean about the worst time in her life was when she had bad skin. I believe it. I do. I believe that. I do think she's the type of person to be like, there's only one thing in the world that can really get me down. And it's a pimple. Yeah. Bad skin. Wow. Oh my God. (laughs) (laughs) Well, put your laughing hat away because you and Leah Michelle are in similar boats. The ugliest girl in the world attacks. (laughs) We attacked ourselves. She does tell a funny story about how she thought using eyeliner to cover up a pimple and make it into a beauty mark was a great sex in the city hack and then I guess she just like gave herself a million little dots yeah she put like a bunch of dots all over her face and her friends were like what's wrong with your face and she's like I was humiliated anyway she has a really good tip in here that not a lot of people know about and that is you should drink more water why though it hydrates you from the inside oh she says it's because she's a singer and it's essential that she guzzles water She also says if you want to make it interesting, you can add mint leaves, cucumber, lemon, or fresh fruit like strawberries or raspberries. That is interesting. She also has recipes for relaxing baths. Have you guys thought about adding Epsom salts? Have you thought about eating Epsom salts? Have you thought about a one pound box of baking soda? Wait, you're just supposed to dump baking soda into your bath? To help your pH balance? Claire, I'm not a fucking bathing expert. I haven't taken a bath since I was a baby. Okay, here are her big time no-nos. Falling asleep with makeup on, using dirty brushes or old makeup, using other people's products, not getting sleep, fly with makeup on, not drink enough water, sleep on dirty pillowcases, put makeup on after facials, touch my face with dirty hands, or skip sunscreen. She talks about how often she cleans her makeup brushes, and I do think things like that, I just want to know how often she does it. She says she throws them out every three months. To buy all new ones every three months is intense. But I guess I don't wear makeup, so what the fuck do I know? She talks about when her best friend Jonathan Groff didn't take care of his skin properly, and crazily enough, he was diagnosed with skin cancer. That's the literal quote. (laughs) I know. I I went in to correct you because I was like, no, I think she says something weird. (laughs) She literally says, but crazily enough, he went to the doctor and was diagnosed with skin cancer. (laughs) Crazy stuff. She also recommends you use a face mask on the plane. Masque. Okay. You guys ready for her seven-step full spa day ritual? In her own bathroom. First, I draw a restorative bath, usually one that eases the muscle aches. Second, I apply restorative hair mask. Third, I drain the tub (laughs) and stay seated while I exfoliate my entire body. Then she gives you a couple of recipes for exfoliants. Fourth, after my skin is nice and soft, I rinse off in the shower and wash my hair. Okay, she's literally describing a shower at this point. (laughs) Fifth, I apply rose body oil everywhere except for my face. Sixth, I apply a face mask. She makes one out of cucumbers. Seventh, I do a quick at-home mani-pedi. Okay, can I say something? A quick at-home mani-pedi is not quick. She also recommends candles, hot tea. I think this book was paid for by Whole Foods because she keeps recommending to get all of your ingredients for all of your at-home beauty necessities at Whole Foods. She's like, if you're looking for some new beautiful makeup and skincare, try Whole Foods. I was like, what? That's crazy. That's not where you get skincare. She also is always talking about what she makes herself. She's doing a lot of at-home mask and scrub recipes. And I'm just like, listen, Leah, you can tell us what you buy. Can I say? What? I feel like this book was successful and I wonder what happened to her lifestyle line. Like, I do think that this was the beginning of a Gwyneth Paltrow attempt. Her very own, what was Blake Lively's awful website preserve. called? Yeah, I think she was going for a preserve. You know, for a while, it, before we could just do a makeup line, the celebrities had to do an entire lifestyle blog brand. And I do wonder why this didn't take off more. I wonder if it is because people don't like her. I think at the time they did. I've seen photos of people lining up around the block to buy this book and get it signed by her. There was a point in time when Leah Michelle had not met her match. Well, if anyone has any insight into why Leah Michelle's lifestyle blog didn't pop off, please holler. She says that food 
has always been important to her. She eats like every day. She's Italian. Does that explain it? She's Italian. <laughs> Just that's what you need to know. And that's why she's vegan. And she also does cheat days on a Saturday or a Sunday. And she loves those days because it's a treat and not the norm. So she truly enjoys it. Although she doesn't even like fast food, she told us, because she wasn't raised with it. I think this is why I've never had a crisis with food and my weight. I've never treated it like medicine for all that ails me emotionally, nor do I treat mealtime like my mortal enemy. I will say then she goes on to give food a lot of moral prescriptions. Yeah, being naughty, but not too naughty. I hate the word naughty, but she's she a big, it. you can have bread, but only if it's not bread, <laughs> only if it's a chickpea substitute. She then goes on to give about 20 pages of recipes. We're going to live this life. We're going to put it on our Instagram and on our TikTok. We're going to become Leah Michelle. Oh yeah. Wait, I just want to give the exact wording to her fast food situation. She says she doesn't really like fast food. So she's never concerned that she'll go completely off the rails. I hope. She does in a public way. I guess if she did, no one would notice because we've seen celebrities go off the rails and it rarely entails them eating a hamburger. That's not true. When I think about Ben Affleck going to rehab, I immediately think of Jack in the Box. (laughs) There. You found me wrong. So I want to talk about the kale recipe. (laughs) This is one of the worst recipes I've ever heard. She gives a kale and tzatziki plus whole wheat toast meal recipe for the kale salad. She talks about how to make kale enjoyable, which quite frankly, I've been fucking red pilled by kale. I'll eat it. I like it. Most people like it. I think it's a problem. We like it so much. Anyway, so she says that if you're new to kale salad, give yourself a chance to like it and start with a thicker dressing like an organic Caesar before you take it in a healthier direction. Can you imagine being like, listen, you're going to be eating kale salad. If you need to thicken it up with something that is literally salad dressing, That's fine for now, but later you'll learn to like it and make it just pure lettuce. She also gets a lot of her inspiration for recipes from Alicia Vikander's, uh, I mean- Nope, Alicia Silverstone. From Alicia Silverstone's vegan book, which Selma Blair also took note of, and I don't know if you guys heard last week's episode, but in that she, of course, feeds her toddler raw arugula dipped in olive oil and vinegar. And I'm just thinking the amount of people that Alicia Silverstone has power over and has ruined. Crazy. I can't believe Alicia Silverstone is like the source material for all cookbooks. Literally every woman in Hollywood is like, I have access to a nutritionist and a doctor, but I kind of think Alicia Silverstone has it figured out. I'm still flipping through recipes. There's a lot of them. I cannot wait to live like her. Okay, navigating the grocery store. Oh wait, I also love how she has to be very careful about calling herself a vegetarian. Oh, yeah. She's like, I'm a vegetarian, but sometimes a vegan, but sometimes I'm a pescatarian, but I don't know that I'll never eat meat. And if you don't eat meat, I think that's totally cool. Don't eat meat. Eat meat. Whatever. So she says, I'm a strong believer in keeping my house healthy. Some of it really healthy, like gluten-free bread and rice cheese. What? Why is gluten bad? What is rice cheese? It sounds like a meal I would make, actually. I'd be like, I cooked, honey. My specialty, (laughs) rice cheese, is where you take a can of rice and you dump cheese on it. I actually think that sounds good. That's like a burrito. Actually. (laughs) Now that I'm thinking about it, I might make rice cheese for dinner. (laughs) Okay, some of it's really healthy, like gluten-free bread and rice cheese, and some of it is a little naughty, but never terrible. Her little naughty is every once in a while she'll have an Amy's pizza. Every now and then she'll use organic Caesar instead of pure lettuce. One thing she really loves is exploring the grocery store. She says, it's dorky, but it's part of my perfect day. It's not dorky. I love a grocery store. And I feel like she's being mean to (laughs) us. Anyway, she says that it's actually great to just wander around the grocery store aisles. That's how she found Ezekiel bread, a low glycemic live bread that's healthy, delicious, and packed with grains like lentils and barley. I stopped to linger in the bread aisle just to weigh my options, and she just found it. How crazy is that story? Her perfect meat cute. I put on my headphones, listen to great music, and really take my time to shop. This gives me the chance to really look and check out the options, which is how I happened upon one of my most favorite healthy alternatives. A lifestyle blog, hacks for people. Have you tried the grocery store? (laughs) It's so easy to go straight to the things we know and love, but there might be something else right next to your go-to that you'll love even more. This feels like when you ask an influencer where they got their article of clothing and the answer is Urban Outfitters, and you're like... Oh, (laughs) the first place you would think to look. She's like, "Um, where did I get this food? The grocery store. (laughs) 
And she included a paparazzi shot of herself leaving the grocery store. And then we have the whole section where she works out and you get to just watch her be so (laughs) fit and toned. She talks about how when she lived in New York, she walked around a lot and she took the subway. So she went up and down stairs all the time. But then she moved to L.A. and she wasn't going up and down stairs all the time. And in the first season of Glee, she gained five or six pounds. From the first episode of the last episode. And you can see it. When you watch it, she can see it. She said, I had to just swear off of late night food from crafty rice and pan fried vegetables. That's the food she swore off, rice and pan fried (laughs) vegetables? Yeah. Uh, Be honest, Leah, you were also eating your rice cheese, weren't you? She also says that when she was in New York doing Broadway, she was doing the equivalent of three spin classes of show, which I believe. She spends like two full pages talking about the importance of trying various workouts and not just trying one. Some people are going to like spin class. Some people are going to like Pilates class. She actually doesn't like Pilates class, but she does like spin class. She loves Bikram (laughs) yoga in her backyard specifically. Yeah. She likes to hike. Is this interesting, you guys? Anyway, I urge you to try everything because the right experience can completely change your perspective on exercise and make you actually look forward to moving around. I mean, the thing is, it's good advice. It's just making me mad. She gives a workout. I'll do the workout on TikTok and Reels. Don't forget to do the cool down. Repeat on both sides. Oh my God, she did one photo shoot of her trying on an outfit and it's dispersed throughout the book and we'll put up these photos, but it's the most 2014 outfit I've ever seen. It doesn't look horrible. Like it obviously looks dated, but I'm not like, oh, you look terrible. But it's, but it's also never, there's nothing about it that's like a beacon of style. She says, it's just also funny to be in your own closet and they let her try on one outfit. They have 19 photos of different levels of the same outfit. I'm like, you couldn't just change. Dark wash skinny jeans, boot heels, an oversized leopard business shirt. casual shirt. And then later she adds a red jacket. She talks about style and how on the set of Ragtime, someone told her about style. And she talks about what is important to her fashion wise. She says she never wears anything with holes in it, especially pajamas. She says it's really important to her to wear like a pajama set or a nightgown. She says making this effort makes me feel amazing. I absolutely believe she wears a nightgown every night. Also, her New Year's resolution was to always show up on set looking good. You got to dress for the job you want and she wants the job that she has. (laughs) So even though her call time is 4 a.m. and you just sit in hair and makeup, she will always show up in jeans. My personal style is quite simple. I'm a jeans and t-shirt kind of girl and I prefer to express my more creative side at work, in photo shoots or on the red carpet. In my everyday life, I don't dress in knee-high stockings and penny loafers a la Rachel Berry, nor do I ever wear gowns when I'm not at a big event. Who does? Yeah, I don't think anyone was looking at you at the Tonys and being like, wow, is that what she was wearing yesterday? (laughs) Is this just what she happened to have on while she was walking by? Did she know that the Tonys were happening? Oh God, it's so boring. It's just so, I'm like looking at it and she explains outfit by outfit why she wore what she wore to the, but they're just regular clothes. It's not like watching tiny Jewish girl from TikTok put together an outfit where you're like, oh, literally explain to me that skull vest. Yeah, this is very much, she's like, why did I wear this Oscar de la Renta dress to the Grammys? Cause it made me feel beautiful. Why did I wear this Versace dress? Cause it made me feel sexy. She loves to show off her legs. So if you have a feature that you like, try okay, showing it Okay, but can I disclaim? Yeah. Before she tells us she likes to show off her legs, she wants it explicitly known that she's not trying to sound raunchy. This sounds a bit raunchy, but I believe that if you're short, you need to show as much skin as possible. Interesting. Oh, one of her big tips is to find pieces that fit. Can I say, I actually think that is a valid tip because right now we live in a real economy of buy it if it doesn't fit. You can always get it tailored. And I'm here to say that at some point that actually doesn't make sense. Chapter seven, red carpet fash. She's talking about what you want in a red carpet dress. It usually comes down to the dress, whether it's amazing and timeless and the right cut for your body shape. We've talked a lot in this chapter about how to look great at an important event, but it's equally important that you feel comfortable because when you're comfortable, you're relaxed, which is a key ingredient to looking your best. So if you slip on a gown and feel uncomfortable in the dressing room, then you're certainly going to be uncomfortable at the end of a long post-event party. There you go. True. She also has a caption, what was I thinking? Where she talks about this tiny little black dress she wore and how awful she thinks she looks in it. I'm going to put up a photo. It is it's just one, a regular dress. One of the least conspicuous looks I've ever seen. If you gave me this look in a lineup, I wouldn't think twice. I wouldn't be able to put a date to it. It is truly the most nothing black dress. She goes, I remember feeling confident that I looked hot, but when I look back now, I cringe. It's a totally crazy dress. I don't know what the problem is. I guess her extensions look not great, but for the most part, she looks like a girl at any bat mitzvah in any year in the past 50 years. It's a strapless black dress with like a fuller skirt. 
Totally crazy. Wow, this is like an out-of-date tip. She says that vintage is a great option if you're on a budget. Oof, yeah, not she's today. Like, they'll be a lot cheaper than regular things. I'm like, I wish. And then she goes through her glam squad and they do look ideas for her. She says that she really likes to play up her ethnicity. And she says that you should always have a team that can make time for you. Like if you just need to pop in for a bang trim, they should always be available. Can I say, I would really love not Jen Atkin, like a true Hollywood glam squad memoir, but like none of them would ever do it obviously because they rely on staying the Hollywood glam squad. But I feel like that's the interesting story. Her makeup artist gives you tips and her makeup artist's like number one concern is your T-zone. In almost all of the 10 tips, she's like, and don't forget to check your T-zone and also bring blotching pads for your T-zone. Their biggest fear is being oily. Do you think Lee Michelle is freakishly oily in the T-zone? Yeah. Or do you think it's just that times have changed the bed? I remember at one point growing up, the T-zone was a real area of concern for all of us. And then I think Glossier came and they were like, take that oil and spread it about. That's the oil factory. That's your moneymaker. She has a step-by-step for blowing out your hair. She has a step-by-step for putting on a bun. Date night, beachy waves. She's really into having friends. She thinks that's really great. This is where we mentioned Corey again. She says when Corey passed away, her friends showed up for her, which I unfortunately want to say I think is one of the easiest times to show up for someone. I don't want to be like, those aren't your real friends. Like maybe they are, but I think when someone's going through something horrible, to call them is easy. This is where we first start talking about Glee a little bit more. We don't really get into a full story. It's another Glee, more on that later. But she talks about getting to her audition for Glee. I guess it was her final callback. And she got into a car accident right in front of the studio and like ran in anyway. The gate guy was like, I'll watch the wreckage you go audition. And she ran in. Some assistant came into the bathroom when she was in there and helped her pick the glass out of her hair and wash the blood off of her face. And she's like, and that girl became my best friend. And I got the part. So that girl, Stephanie, is her best friend up until at least the end of the book or whenever the book came out. And I kind of want to look into it and find out if Stephanie becomes her assistant. Because to me, something about it gives, she's my best friend. She does everything for me. She's always looking out for me, which really means on my payroll vibes. And I think to me, when she's the PA and the fact that their initial meeting is like, can you assist me professionally and I will pay for something for you? Yeah. I'm going to look it up. I'm going to report back on the Patreon, but I'll let you guys know. So then she gives a love letter to Jonathan Groff, who crazily enough at one point had skin cancer. (laughs) And even crazier, if he hadn't got it in checked when he did, he could have died in a few months. (laughs) Bananas. So she met Jonathan Groff because they were opposite each other for Spring Awakening. And I do think you can become really close like when you're doing those intense scenes with someone. They do seem like they're great friends. She says that when he came into audition, she'd already been workshopping the show. And so she like gave him some tips on how to not look so stupid all the time. She said he was wearing an ugly outfit and his hair looked crazy. She also says, we met at our spring awakening audition. I had done workshops of the show, so I felt pretty confident that I'd be able to keep my role with the production, but we needed to find a guy to play Melchior. I don't know what that means. And in walked Jonathan Groff, this kid from Lancaster, Pennsylvania, wearing jeans that were way too short and a shirt that clearly had been washed when it needed to have been dry cleaned. And the gel. His hair was as hard as a rock. I looked at him and thought, what a sweet boy, but he's never going to get this part. But I helped him that day because it was clear that he was the nicest person. I gave him some insight into the things the director would like to see and worked through some of the scenes with him before he went in. Can you imagine being a 16-year-old being like, Jesus Christ, that shirt needs starch? (laughs) Not only did he get the part, but he ended up getting a Tony nomination and the launchpad for an incredibly successful career. I also think this part is important. From the moment I met Jonathan, I knew he was gay. But she didn't want to tell him because he didn't know yet. And she says they have a great bond. We call ourselves City Mouse and Country Mouse because he grew up with Amish people and I grew up with cross-dressers in New York City. I don't know. The way she's like, my gay best friend, I knew he was gay before he did. It's like, okay, is that like the number one thing in your relationship with Jonathan? In like a two-page tribute to him, these are like the most words written in the whole book. And this is what she's writing about. I didn't want to say anything that might possibly hurt or embarrass him, particularly because it was apparent that he wasn't ready to be out. For the first time, I could feel someone's emotions. (gasps) They met when she was a teenager. She had never even considered that someone else might have feelings until she was 16 years old. That's why Leah Michelle is so mean to people. She didn't experience empathy until she was like 16. She's very new to it. Late onset empathy. She also has Jonathan to thank for Glee. He was out doing a pilot with Ryan Murphy. She went to visit him. Did him and Ryan Murphy date? I don't, it Because it seems like she woke up the next morning and Ryan Murphy was still in the house making breakfast. But anyway, she met Ryan Murphy through Jonathan Groff, who says he wrote Glee with her in mind for Rachel Berry. And then we get into her night in favorite. It's an egg in a hole. Oh yeah, when she's cooking for her friends, she loves to make 
eggs. She also says when you're cooking for the people you love, you don't have to show up or go out all the stops. And I'm like, well, then who do you go all the stops out for? Because you're not a chef. So presumably you're only cooking for people you love. Or do you only do your A game for your enemies when you have the people you hate most dinner party? My most special, special ingredient, poison. And then we finally get to it. My life with Glee. She was on a show called Glee. Have you heard of it? Can I say, I think Glee has really been through the ringer of public opinion and it is camp perfection. It is like such a fun and insane show. It's some of my favorite music. (laughs) There's something about it. It burnt so bright and then it burnt up entirely. And then it burnt bright again. I feel like it's had a real resurgence with people like making fun of it and then being like, wait, I love it. I think it's because none of those kids actually went on to become A-list celebrities. Can I say, I think low-key, the breakout star from that show is going to have been Diana Agron. Oh, yeah, but not not yet. yet. I do think she's going to come out Michelle Williams style as like low-key the actress of her time. Can I just take a minute to say, I wish for Britney Spears, Heather Morris's life. Me too. She should have just gotten her bag and then gone back to Kentwood and been a dance teacher. That's what I wish for Britney Spears. I think it's really interesting that she talks about how she had a hard time breaking into TV and film. And she's like, I could have gone back to Broadway. I knew I'd always have a place there. That is confidence. I really do love that at 17, she was over Broadway unless she was the star. She says she wanted to get into TV, but she didn't think it would ever happen. Casting directors frequently told me that I wasn't pretty enough for TV and that I was too ethnic to ever be mainstream. Again, I just don't believe you. Just a white girl. One manager told me that as soon as I got my period and was accordingly old enough for plastic surgery, I should get my nose done immediately. I think it's the same story over and over and over again. So she got little bits here and there, but she never broke through. She talks about how she wanted to be like Sarah Ramirez, who was on Grey's Anatomy that we now know as the most detested Che. As Dr. Kelly Torres, though, a revelation. I can't believe she was a stage actress. I knew that because the Grey's Anatomy musical episode was because of them. Why were they so bad in Sex and the City? Why were they so good in Grey's Anatomy? How did they not know? That's what's shocking to me about the Sex and the City show. That Why didn't they know what was coming for them? I don't know. Anyway, she talks about her audition for Glee. So she got cast in Les Mis at the Hollywood Bowl, and then she decided to do a couple auditions when she was out in L.A. She got the call that they wanted to see me for Glee. I remember reading the script for the first time, and in the last scene, when the kids start singing Don't Stop Believin', I could hear the song in my head as I read, and I got chills. I mean, it's already a song that everyone knows. It's not like, oh, my God, I saw the song, and I could just hear it. I could imagine it. It's like you knew it. It's also like a song that inspires excitement and belief. That's why they put it in the script. To be like, I don't know, something about that way that song went, it just really made me believe in the show. And it's like, yeah, because they were telling you not to stop believing. Oh God. She says that as soon as she read Rachel Berry, she could access everything about her. She just knew her in her core. And like Claire said earlier, it's because she was Rachel Berry. Even though she says over and over again, I'm not Rachel Berry. You are Rachel Berry. Then she does her monologue. And first of all, she goes in frazzled because she had gotten into that car accident. And she says, when I went in for my first audition, I thought it went terribly. The piano player messed up. So I asked him to stop midway through the song and go back. I had to do a scene where Rachel slaps Finn. It was cut from the pilot. The casting director played Finn opposite me. And in the moment, I accidentally slapped him for real. Inside, I was freaking out that I was bombing in real time. But little did I know, I was Rachel Berry in those moments. Rachel Berry is the one who stopped the piano player and slapped the casting director. It was also her. Yeah, it sounds like she was you. You were her. She was you. She's like, it wasn't me who did those things that I did. <laughs> it was the character that I'm nothing like. She also says that she was so excited to find out the Fox producers wanted to hire her without Ryan Murphy having to vouch for her. And she's like, so I really got it on my own. And I just don't understand why the creator of a show wanting to hire you would, would be counted as cheating. She also says that it was a fun cast to work with. They were all kind of unknown. She knew Matthew Morrison and Jenna Ushkowitz from Broadway. And she dated Matthew Morrison for a Broadway beat back in the day. And it's like, what were the ages? Sorry, Matthew Morrison, trigger warning. <laughs> she talks about becoming known as a diva, which hurt her feelings because she's the furthest thing from that. I'm just a girl who knows who she is and what she wants. And I tend to speak my mind. And then she says that the cast of Glee is amazing. They're all still such close friends to this day. They are my family. Amber will text me out of the blue just to tell me that she loves me. So will Kevin McHale. Well, that's family. Her and Amber aren't doing so good anymore, right? I don't think so. I also like that. It's not like, oh, I respect them. They are great performers. She says, we're all still so close. They're always telling me how much they love me. 
I try not to set limits for myself anymore because the original limits I set were proven completely wrong. Here I am now. I'm the lead on a TV show. I have a L'Oreal campaign and I've been on the cover of some of my favorite beauty magazines. This last chunk is written like the intro for Clueless. I look like a Noxzema commercial or something. You're guessing, how did I end up here? It's just simply by being there and insisting upon it. Then she has fan questions. What's the funniest thing to happen on set? I had to do a scene and my shirt busted open and nobody told me. Hilarious. Hilar- That's funny. What's the hardest thing you ever had to do? I had to put my face in a plate of fettuccine Alfredo. I know theoretically it's not hard, but it really was the most disgusting thing in the entire world. I believe you. How do you handle the paparazzi? She loves it. That's the truth. <laughs> the truth is that she loves the paparazzi. And if she doesn't want to get shot by the paparazzi, she just stays home. A day in the life of Glee. They work hard. Can you believe it? No. They just like work all day. I don't know. It's it like, is a hard show. Like all that choreography probably would be quite difficult. You're learning multiple numbers a day. Every day is different. They're getting there at 6 a.m. They're leaving at 3 a.m. It does sound very hard. It is a ton of work. I'm and not. then she goes home and really relaxes with a 30-minute bath and an at-home pedicure. The mystique of Ryan Murphy. So then she talks about what a genius Ryan Murphy is. I'm grateful to Ryan for everything, but we should all be grateful actually because Ryan created a TV show that changed so many people's lives and opened so many eyes and minds. High school kids everywhere can see themselves in the characters on Glee and parents have found new avenues for conversation with their children and we've all been entertained. Nothing would make me happier than to work solely with Ryan Murphy for the rest of my career. I don't think they're doing so good anymore either. Then this is the goodbye chunk. Putting brunette ambition together has been a profound and powerful experience for me. How could that be true? (laughs) Could that possibly be true? What was profound? Not only have I revisited all the life experiences that have made me the person I am today. This but could not be all of them. Who are you then? You're mostly just a combination of homemade masques. You're mostly just a series of plyometrics in the backyard. I am egg in a hole. I am professionalism. Not only have I revisited all the life experiences that have made me the person I am today, but I've also been able to distill everything I've learned onto the pages of what I think is a very useful book. I hope you find it useful too. I may live brunette ambition every day, but I still turn back to its pages constantly, whether it's for a refresher course. How do I do a squat again? (laughs) On the hair mask or guidance doing an at-home workout when Devin isn't by my side. These are my life coaches. And so I'm thrilled to be able to share them with you. I'm also thrilled to be able to share my larger philosophy on getting everything I need to be done all while reaching for the stars and beyond. Ultimately, this is just the beginning of the brunette ambition movement. As my world continues to grow, as I learn a few more tips and tricks, there will be more and more to share. Thank you for reading and thank you for being amazing fans. Your support means the world to me and I can't wait to meet you all along the way. I wish you guys could see the photo. I guess I could send it to you, but the photo of her like kissing you goodbye, it feels like a child's headshot from the 80s. It feels very, I'm about to be murdered in a small town. Well, Ashley, final thoughts? Final thoughts are that I would like to know more about Leah Michelle just because she's in my mind a puzzle that I want to know more about but I know that that is not the case I don't think that there's that much to her and I'm like giving her too much benefit of the doubt by assuming there is something to her I genuinely wonder if her cancellation did anything to her I bet you it like really gave her some perspective on ignoring the haters yeah this week on the patreon we will be getting all into Leah Michelle, Rachel Berry. We already did a Glee episode with Fluently Forward. If you want to check it out, we did Glee blind items, but we will get into the cancellation, the fallout, the accusations. By the time we come out, I think she'll have opened up as Funny Girl so you can look into the reviews. Oh my God, I can't wait. It's going to be a lot of fun. We want to hear your opinions on Leah Michelle. If anybody has any insights, send them to us. We love you guys. Yes, and most of all, I love our five-star reviewers. Thank you to Compass MB. You are my... North Star. Thank you to RV Wormy Gal. I would love to drive around in an RV looking at worms. Thank you, Pod Saves America Forever. Thank you for saving America. Thank you, Phoebes and Oliver, my favorite dynamic duo. Thanks to La Divine Lala. You are absolutely divine. Thank you to Smook. Um, I would love to give you a big old smooch. Thanks to Clara Russ. I'd love to rustle up a great time. After reading this review, thanks to Gman6675, you're the man. Thank you to Lather106. I would love to get a great lather of fine soap for you. Thanks to Superworm87, you are my superhero. Thanks to CMV14. I hope to never see you at the DMV. I hope to just see you elsewhere. Thanks to Corey Goodies, you have got an absolute... Mary Poppins bag of goodies, and I appreciate that about you. Thanks to 
Amancini22. I'm happy to see this review. Thanks to Denver Denise, my second favorite Denise after our gal Richards. No, you're my first favorite Denise and Denise Richards is my second favorite Denise. Thank you to Fanny Dashwood, an absolute dashing review from you. Thanks to Jenny Jennifer Nine, Charlie's mom. I bet you Charlie's going to be a real champ. Thanks to you being his mom. Thanks to Francis Irene. I see here, this is a great review and I appreciate it. Thank you to no one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen. I say yes, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen. Thanks, Rainy Tessum. If you prefer some rain, then I'll accept it. Thank you to Lynn Ray, an absolute ray of goddamn sunshine. Kello765. Hello, Kello. Thanks, Joanna. I I appreciate a Joanna. Thank you to Megiola, the most mega great review. Thanks to, oh wait, I think that's all for this week. Thank you guys so much. I adore you. (laughs) 